Welcome to Brave New Earth. This podcast is all about climate tech. We're going to be diving into how we can build and invest in the climate technology projects of tomorrow. We're going to be interviewing some of the best founders, investors, scientists and builders in this space to work out where we should be investing our capital, where we should be building businesses so that we can one, have a huge impact on the future on planet Earth and two, build very valuable businesses. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Harry. I'm really excited. Let's dive straight in hey guys uh welcome back uh sorry we missed one week but we're back i'm really excited for this episode we have Jana, the founder of kind community and also an angel investor in the space i was looking through your your investments you've done done a good job man thanks so much for coming on thanks so much for having me harry looking forward to it now nah, all good so so the last three episodes have been um mostly investor based so i'm quite excited to have someone on board that's more kind of um, involved in the actual scaling and building and, uh, you know, development of, of these businesses, I think it'd be like a really, really interesting perspective. So in your words, what is Kind Community? Kind Community exists to launch and scale impact-driven startups. We do that through advisory, growth services and community amplification. Okay, nice. Um, and... In your, like, in your words, what is an impact business, right? Because it's slightly wider than climate. Mm. Well, the climate crisis is a very complex crisis. It's, it's something that's like made up of lots and lots of broken systems. And oftentimes we can focus off, and I'm being guilty of this, is focusing on, on you know, the forest fires, solar energy and... and the, like the environmental impact of the climate crisis, but actually people are greatly affected by the climate crisis as well. We're going to see billions of people uh, displaced through rising tides, heat. So we often forget about the impact of people to the planet. And uh, what what we define impact is a business that positively impacts people and planet. So we can support a female-founded social enterprise that supports women in local communities that are disrupted by the climate crisis, create enterprises so they can support their families, their local communities. Yeah, nice. So um, at what stage do the founders come to you and just dive into a bit about exactly how you help those people scale. I mean, you, you gave the kind of headline there, but like a, a little bit deeper into say, say I was an early stage founder, just come up with an idea, a product, I come to you, how are you helping me? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of, couple of things there, right? So founders approach me from all sorts of, all sorts of life, different, various stages of their, of their journey, whether it's just an idea, mm. whether they need a little push over the edge, and then we also have very established brand owners, business owners come to us and say, how do we become better at, at supporting our local communities or, or doing this better? Like, let, let's get our sustainability credentials ranked up. Like, ultimately, um, there's a, a hell of a lot of businesses out there that sustainability, environmental and, and social isn't high on the agenda. It's all about profit for, for, for many of these businesses so we we aim to help them as well but how do we, how do we help so you, you can come to us and we can have a frank conversation about where you are in your stage of business we we give you access to the resources the talent 
the experience to help you scale. So whether that's um, access to online webinars, whether that's one-to-one coaching from our advisory team, uh, experts in this space, or a combination of both, backed with us providing a team that can actually do the work. Like we'll run paid ads, we'll manage influencer campaigns, we'll look at your packaging. It really depends on the capacity of the business we're working t- with mm. and equally how fast you want how fast do we want to go like, like uh, some some founders like to take quite a step step by step they like to be involved in 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 learning the process and then they do it mm. um and then other times it's like jenna we love what you do get the team on yeah and let's let's make some magic and we get the team involved and we off we go nice so you basically like assembled uh group of individuals obviously you're uh, a, a founder previous and you've assembled a group of people that are really good in is it more marketing stuff or is it pretty holistic across the the business cycle i mean like your team mm. so we my core team are generally growth experts marketers storytellers mm. creatives um we like the the, the jazz hands yeah. of business <laughs> yeah. but you know being a being a leader means recruiting an incredible team that fills the gaps where you're not so good yeah so naturally i've built a team around me that um are able to do the the bits of the business that i'm not great at right yeah, yeah. so i'm not great at operationals or finance so i've got the the, got the guys that can do that yeah <laughs> the other guys and girls that, that do that way better than me so, um, then, so i tend to be also a visionary so yeah. i'll plan out some crazy idea like five ten you know i want to you know, I want to create the future of consumerism, right? But actually, yeah. how does that happen today, tomorrow, next week? So I have team members around me that, that make that happen. And my co-founder, which is also my wife, she's right, really, really good at, like, taking that vision and, and making it happen in in a day-to-day. That's nice. I love that combo. Like you see, all the all the best businesses have that same combo, right? As we joke that it's your wife as well. But you have the, the visionary and their executor. That's like the you have to have both because they pull each other mm. back. Yeah. Well, as yeah. as leaders as businesses, yeah. and, and just a, just when you think about it, right? Our job yeah. um, as a leader, we're we're a head coach, okay? Mm. Um, and to get to a head coach position, you once were the striker of the team. You would yeah. you were you were scoring the goals. You knew how to do the job, but then quite quickly you realised that you had to play as a team. You had to you had to um, bring in others around you that supported you because otherwise. Um, you're not going to be the best best team overall. You might individually be able to to su- start something, create value when you when you first jump into a business, uh, do the work, understand customers, understand the product, and then quite quickly, you want to bring on players that play at what you struggle at. So yeah, for sure. the way I say that is like doing operations and running spreadsheets is fun. They play at that game, hmm. whereas me, oh my. <laughs> I just can't hack it. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what we yeah. that's oftentimes one of the main hurdles we face as entrepreneurs is we're really good at the the, like the product or marketing or sales. We get to a certain amount of traction. We're like, yeah, this is good. I've built built some something. But to really unlock the next level of growth, you have to then step back and realize what's how do I bring in players around me, the team team players that allow me to continue to do the stuff that I'm bringing at while they equally focus on what they're brilliant at and then you scale something way more meaningful more valuable to the world yeah it's a good point i mean like back back from like um my v, like vc days and the 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 
the companies I've been involved in as well. It's always the almost like take take it for granted in a way. But um, yeah, you need to hire, like the, the 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 bad founders are the one that just try and do everything themselves. Like the the best ones are the ones that um, overcompensate the best people in the industry and then get like five extra results as opposed to if they're like averagely paid or I say compensate equity and all this kind of stuff. Um, like okay ones or like good ones, and then they don't deliver the same kind of results. So it's just like get get a team around you like incentivize them well and 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 scale so that's sick so um so people come to you and you basically just have like different levels of um of help and resources that they can leverage um to help them scale so i want to dive into quickly you and and kind of how you got there and then we'll get to a question i'm dying to ask which is like what are how are people scaling well and how are people scaling not well and what are the barriers they're facing but quickly like how did you get here like when did uh, what was the uh, i guess the early phases of of your career and when did you go i want to work in impact climate that kind of stuff I've, i've naturally been entrepreneurial all my life and uh from there was my first job was in sales and I really 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 believe that no matter what job you go into you should you should become a good salesperson mm. and get trained in how to communicate well and sell because every single day you're selling so I was in sales I then was headhunted to join us uh, a boutique renewable energy company and I headed up business development so I was you know walking around the southeast of of London and uh, and and England putting up solar solar panels and ground source heat pumps back in like 20 early were you actually doing an installation i wasn't i was no. selling oh you were selling was yeah. it like door to door yeah dude that that's hardcore stuff isn't it it's 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 a trend that i've seen across a lot of very successful people is they've at some point just done some kind of horrible sales like real like <laughs> like soul destroying kind of stuff. Bro, I haven't it, even started. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, door to door. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you know, obviously English weather isn't great anyway, <laughs> yeah. but so you're I you're knocking on people's doors. <laughs> you just you just got a job um round the corner and your job was to for me, being business development sales, while the team were undergoing that installation, people could see it. People wanted to see someone in their neighborhood installing solar panels. So you could, it was rife for you to go and knock on the other door saying, look, my team's in the area, vans are going to be here. And I can, I can actually give you a discount because we don't have to go off, come back. Like, let's talk about it. And when you have social proof, i.e. your next door neighbor doing something, you don't want to miss out. You want to understand what it is. If you live in the same neighborhood, you're, you're generally on the same income level. So if they can afford it, you feel like you should be able to afford it. And that was like a domino effect. We were able to install like multiple houses along along a road. Yeah. And for me, I did it because um, I love nature. I, I thought it would be a great way of people being able to um, create renewable energy. But when I quickly realised that the government was paying subsidies for people to install solar panels, they get paid paid yeah. for every bit of um, energy they generated. It kind of took the sting out of it. I was like, oh, I, th- I thought people were just doing it for the good of their heart and wanted to create renewable energy but they were doing it either for a saving or to make money is that a problem though because it's it's not a problem yeah what i see is like most of the time we believe oftentimes we we think someone's doing something for for one way but actually there's a couple of undermining more powerful motivations that people are doing something for and it's often for you know to attract a mate like have that hierarchy piece like be seen as um a more uh like 
I guess not sexier, sexier in that terms, but more attractive person through either affluence, right? Yeah. Or characteristics, security. There are there are certain key drivers of of human behaviors. Yeah. And I I was naive back then. It was like obviously I was young twenties, and I thought people were doing it for the good of their, their heart. But actually, it was just because they wanted to make money. Yeah, it's fine. Which is like yeah. So I I don't. We, we've got so far in the whole, whole climate stuff now. I don't care about your intentions anymore. I just care that you do do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because so, and and that's something I think we should dig into later. And like what's what kind of marketing messages are working? What's scaling? All this kind of stuff. Because I think I, my my take on it is that everyone does care about the climate, like at some level, this kind of stuff. Do they care enough about it to pay five times more for a product or buy a worse product or uh, all this kind of stuff? No. So like, how can we? shift the marketing message to actually tie into what's their like first primal needs but anyway that's for later so you're doing this you're installing your sales what happened next i then talking about like young entrepreneurial person i followed the money i, I went into the city i started doing headhunting recruitment so yeah. i talk about door-to-door sales and then another drastically hard sales role which was um getting people jobs and, and or moving high level experienced movers and shakers in the space and getting them better jobs, promising them things that they wanted f- that they didn't quite get within their current role with a new company and then creating a space that you would then also feel. So I like that. And I also got highly rewarded for it. Yeah. I then through that time was spending a lot of money on myself, looking good, buying nice clothes, suits, suede shoes. Like I've spent like it was again, I was like chasing what, at that point, I led to believe success is, right? Looking yeah, good. Yeah, the image. Yeah, yeah the image, yeah. right? And uh was doing all right. And I wanted to continue, like I had this like mild OCD, like if if there's like a bit of fluff on me, I have to pick it off. And I'm stressing right now because there's a lot of fluff on me right now. Anyway, <laughs> no, you're good. So I'm, you're I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I have to present myself. I'm, I'm, I'm moving senior level executives, underwriters, like people that are earning maybe half a million pound salaries, right? They have a, and when you're in the city, it's very much um, a, an image. Like you have to wear, you have to look the look. Yeah. No, no brown in town is was a saying. Where you, like if you're wearing brown shoes, like people are like. <laughs> but that, that's that's slowly moved on by now. But back then, you had to have uh, a certain image. Also, if if I'm sitting across the table with someone, and and I don't look the part, there is a le- less of a trust. This guy clearly doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't placed anyone. That's why he's not making any money. That's why he looks a bit raggedy around the edges. So I was investing in myself to portray an image that also gave me the, um, it really did. So when you look good, you feel good. And I came across very articulate and I was able to move people through this level of authority when I was 20 to 20 and I'm speaking to someone that's 45, 50, whatever. Yeah. And they were move like this is million pound salaries. These are this is big deals, and we're sometimes moving teams, and you earn a percentage of the the salaries. So I was trying to go for that. During that time, short short story, wanted to protect my suede shoes because in weather they get ruined. Didn't want to buy an aerosol. Hate it. Hate aerosols. I was always a roller deodorant guy anyway. <laughs> right. The, the the toxic aerosols like choke me up. So I went down this rabbit hole looking online. E-commerce wasn't quite as as good as it is today going into all the stores and seeing these big cans of aerosol. And I was like, oh, there needs to be a better better alternative. Started going a rabbit hole online. 
started to realize how the, the negative impact of the fashion industry on the world started to like sh- shook my world and i was like oh my god i need to like do something about this so i set about creating a sustainable protector spray it was called liquid proof and it basically prolonged the life of people's garments and footwear by repelling stains so you could spray it on any material you wouldn't know it was on there but if i was to pour all this jug of water over you it would just roll off really yeah wow. so after about nine months we had a product it was a fraction of the size of every other aerosol. It was 10 times the price. Stood out. I could post it for, because it wasn't flammable and it was quite a small 50 mil. could s- s- fit through letterboxes, like s- hit the sweet spot for e-com. Instagram was just about getting hype and our videos was was like me pouring ketchup over blue suede shoes and it rolling off. I remember these on Instagram. You must yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, and, and back then we, you were able to tag big brands and they had less followers than you so they were like chatting with you and it was quite quite a cool time and yeah. I wish I'd gone further in on the whole Instagram vibe back then but you just thought oh this is it's always be like this but it's, it never is um scaled that first first uh, six months we were profitable um after the first year we we're in 160 stores across the UK was um one top 100 startups of 2015 I was then invited onto Dragon's Den Really? Yep. Right. Invited on Dragons Den because we'd won the awards. We were putting out good content and it just looked awesome. Like our content was like shocking. I thought it was a hoax at first, but eventually went through. Um, and I'm the guy that stands on national TV and pours a bottle of cheap red wine over my suit while standing in a kid's paddling pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think, I think I've seen that one. I need to go back and watch that. That's joke. They like have, replaying it. They, yeah, they, yeah. They replay it. And, and how'd it go? Who, who were the dragons at the time? Um, Still like had, Peter Jones and um, that, right? Peter Jones. He, yeah. I don't think he's ever leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He loves it. Yeah. Deborah Meaden, Nick Jenkins. Yeah. Sarah Willingham and Tuka Suleiman. And what was the result? Tuka Suleiman invested. Did he? Nice. So he yeah. saw a vision of us, and I did as well at the time, was collaborating on impregnating shirts because he owns Hawes and Curtis. Oh, okay. So we could basically create stain-proof shirts. Did it work? We went to work, worked, well, it did work, yeah. Yeah. I stood on national TV and did it. Yeah. But when you say, did it work? Um, with, no, with the with the Hawes and Curtis, like impregnating stuff. I don't know why I've never used stuff like this. <laughs> so, well, look, yeah. if you think about it, right, if I can give you a product that saves your favourite garments from needing to be washed, no stains, yeah, less yeah. cost of deodorant, less chemicals, less, less, um, just less stuff. No, right? I'm, I'm bought in. I <laughs> spill stuff with myself all the time. So we rode the wave of, of sneakerheads jumping in on, on Instagram and people yeah. buying drastically like highly valuable one of one one of 100 sneakers that were like 15 grand, 30 grand. People could, it's life insurance for them. Yeah. Like they they were creating this product that, that, well, I had created this gap in the market that, that didn't damage any of their products. It stayed looking exactly as it would. Yeah. But you could walk, you could walk through a puddle and you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I rode that wave, learned a lot in that time, went f- primarily direct to consumer, scaled that. Then wholesalers were asked, like retailers were asking us to, to, to buy the product. We then worked with distributors and agents across the world and ended up working with most of the major brands and retailers across the world. People like ASOS, Adidas, Nike, Nordstrom, Burberry, Zalando, you name it, we, we probably worked with them all over the world. It was an incredible journey, built a great team. 
learned a lot, failed a lot, wasted yeah. a lot of money on things I shouldn't have spent money on. And just learning those, that getting over those hurdles that most of us face in our early uh, entrepreneurial years. Um, learned a way of like, probably should surround myself with, with more, uh, with better advisors. And, and I was in a stage where I was the guy. Like my ego got in the way and I was like, yeah, champion. So I did some really good stuff, but I equally took too much on myself and didn't open up enough to advisors around how can I, how can you help me? How can yeah. you play a part in my journey? And that ultimately was, was a direction that I, I, I went in where I brought on um, an investor that brought out the, the dragon. It's interesting to hear you say, I was doing X, Y, Z, we've got this, this business like externally would have been super successful, but then you individually just being like, actually made so many mistakes. Like the reason why I say that is there's so many of my mates that I want them to start businesses, but they're worried about doing things perfectly every time. And I'm just like, you really don't have to. Like you just kind of stumble forward like and and no matter how many times people hear on podcasts maybe they won't listen but anyway um uh but yeah so but i still think it's an awesome story so so i, I want to kind of like re rewind back to the start because a lot of people listen to this are um potential founders or super early founders so how did you go from idea to product that is a good question i think for me it was like i had the idea so how do how do i now need to make that happen yeah. I knew I wasn't smart enough to create the solution. I wasn't smart enough to know the first, like, yeah, I had never built a business. I didn't know the first thing about packaging, like barcodes, e-com, pricing, nothing like that. It just so happened that um, where I'd studied pharmaceutical science early on in my years, which I actually quit after the first year, I didn't want to be a scientist, a pharmacist. Yeah. I uh, I rang a few friends up and I said, how, do, how can we make this happen? Like, who do I need to be speaking to? So I was asking questions because I didn't have the answers. I was asking a lot of questions. They put me in touch with someone. They put me in touch with someone. We tried their products. We tried loads of products all over the world. And, and we had a technologist um, develop it. We eventually like asked someone and then someone they know may know someone else. And that's often the thing. Like Businesses are all about people and you're often just one question, or one person away from the solution. Yeah, and you need to ask for it. So something, something I always say is you, sh you should get two introductions from every person you speak to because then you think about how exponential that becomes. If you get two introductions from every one individual you speak to, the network just grows so fast. So you were going like person to person asking, I want to create something, don't know how, do you know how? And if they said no, you'd be like, well, do you know anyone? All this kind of stuff. Can you remember, so it was were you doing re recruitment at the, at the time as well. Yep. Can you remember how much you'd, was spending on that product research in those nine months, which I'm assuming has come out of your personal pocket. In terms of like, I spent way more money in time than I did money. Um, yeah, so but I was just, just just like money, just like financial money, because I think people people are willing to put time behind the business, but I think um, the actual financial investment is a thing that stops a lot of people, and I don't think it should, right? Because um, like the the risk returns way higher, even yeah. just in lessons. But yeah. Um, I would say like the initial capital put in to find the, like the basis of the product was probably about a thousand pounds, 1500 quid. It's not a lot of money. Really not a lot of money. <laughs> so, uh, all the founders I speak to on this, it's, it's normally like around that 1000, 2000, 2000 pound mark, which is such a huge thing for a lot of people. Uh, most people, I think, but if you think about what it's returned to is basically nothing. Do you know what I mean? 
which I think yeah. is quite cool. Yeah. So you, you have the product, you've tested it, all this kind of stuff. Um, was this like early days? Early days e-com was glory era, right? That that early kind of Instagram, like it just makes me smile every time I think about it because like um, at the time you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of easy. <laughs> like looking back on it now, you're like, Christ, some of that attention was so cheap. Yeah, yeah. It really was. It was back yeah. in the, this, it's, uh, yeah, you would, you would post on Instagram and you would get hundreds and hundreds of likes and views. You would have 50, 60 comments. Yeah, wow. We'd have refer, like you would have people tagging. So what I, funny mm. thing that I used to do, I was say, write sneakerheads, like this is, because I was speaking to sneakerheads. It's like, where do you buy your sneakers and where where should we have liquor proof stocked? Tag yeah. it in the comments. And people would tag size, JD, Foot Locker, <laughs> Offspring. <laughs> and then they would- Wild. <laughs> I, remember having, I remember having the CEO of size, um, slide into the dms it was like let's chat I had office slide into dms let's chat send me product i had had these brands coming to me asking us to to feature the product and what i did early on with office right they said oh send us a sample let's 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 have a look at it i was like look um we're this is an innovation i need to i'd much rather you send me your top selling products hmm. top product top selling shoes send me send me three I'll treat them and then I'll present it to you at, at a meeting. And they, they did that. So they sent me an UG, they sent me like a uh, like an Adidas uh, sneaker and it's a, another one, right? And I sprayed them with liquor proof. And then in the buyer's meeting, how funny is it? Showed up in a three-piece suit. like, <laughs> And these guys are in like hoodies and, and wearing like rollout <laughs> cap sneakers. They're like, look at me and I try, try it through. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. ah, I'm in the fashion spec. Like, I don't need to wear suits anymore. Yeah. So that was quite funny. And um, throughout the throughout the presentation, had these treated shoes. We're talking. We're talking. We basically did the deal. And uh, then that, they were like, "Can we can we try it?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." And we just poured coffee and tea and water over these um, boots. And they were like, "Oh my god!" The guy ran out and they showed their teammates in the in the in the rest of the open office. Yeah. People were crowding around, and it was it was amazing. Yeah. Then they they placed an order and we just carried on from there and they've been a very very happy customer. We've helped save thousands, if not millions, of shoes. Yeah, this is well. So was the product itself sustainable, or was the the sustainability angle the fact that the life of the clothes would get prolonged? Both. Both. So the, okay. the liquid itself was water based. It was so safe you could drink it. That point is so interesting. So why was that so easy for you to do when a lot of the products on the market are not like that and they are using harmful chemicals or that stuff that impacts the planet in a negative way. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like if, 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 if you as a uh, recruiter that's never done a business before can make that work, was it more expensive? Like what's, what's the, what am I missing there? Well, it's like most businesses today, they care about profit over everything else. Right? So it so was margin. It was, yeah. It was a bit more expensive. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, okay. And equally yeah. you have, you have the incumbent in the space. Innovation is tough for them because there's like so much like red tape to go through. The team isn't necessarily set up to be innov innovative. It's if you innovate too much, you're probably going to destroy the bottom line from business. So anyway, these comp the, the innovation in that space hadn't changed for like 20 years. My parents still had the aerosol can underneath the sink in the kitchen since I grew up. I like I I, I saw it there. It was like a and no one ever used it because it didn't actually work yet. It was the only thing you could buy. And no one was thinking about it. They they couldn't innovate because they just, why would they? 
they could they could get away with like a two percent active ingredient, the rest of it being gas, sell it for a pound and still make eighty percent margin, right? Mm. And I'm here coming in with a product that costs one pound fifty ish, right? Is already more the cost of the product like landed to me with the raw materials, the great ingredients that we used, the innov- the innovative product costs one pound fifty. Yeah, you could buy a whole aerosol. I could go and get an aerosol made for 17p. I, I looked at that whole business model. I knew yeah. exactly where I could get it done. I could get it done tomorrow. But that wasn't going to help me create uh, a resilient business. Like I cared about Planet. I didn't care about an aerosol. So I created this innovative product and they weren't going to do it until I took enough customers from them f- to make them realize. And they eventually started looking at water-based products, but they just wouldn't want to invest the same level of time and effort and product cost to creating what we had created we were always better so aerosols let's let's just talk about the product you spray it on it's repellent for maybe three minutes <laughs> maybe a day yeah. max if you put it for any sort of harsh it's not going to work every person i asked before i even launched product they didn't really like aerosols I'm like, oh. right our product you could spray it on and it would last pretty much the lifetime of the shoe I mean, if you put it in the washing machine, then, yeah, you're going to ruin it. If you try and destroy the shoe, yeah, you're going to destroy it. It's not bulletproof. But the material would stay protective for for as long as it needed to be. Days, years. I've still got got sneakers I protected back in 2015, 2016. So we're 10 times the price. We were 10 times the the cost. So when what was great was the fact that people walked into a shop they saw this big, big aerosol for a pound, and then they saw this little bottle for ten pound. They immediately were like, "Whoa, what is this?" Through a visual perspective, the price, they're like, what? "This, this, this is again a thing that we now pass on to others." Like, you need to stop people scrolling. You need to create a wow, right? You need to create something that people just stop stand and go, "Huh, what is that?" Because if you're if you're only like slightly different, no one's going to care. It's because there's there's like switching cost there's an investment for them to change their mindset change their behaviors change their just buying habits right and that's often a lot of things that are stifling progress of of innovative sustainable impact driven brands is because their product is it's only sustainable it's not like the product isn't any better than the alternative it just happens to be in glass yeah but it's four times five times the price that's going to take that's a lot of that's a lot of change for someone to to do um but especially coming back to the lick proof days is we created this perceptual value to people and this is a, some, again something that we passed it's like how do we make what you offer how do we look at the offer what is it that the product how is it drastically better how is it more effective can we can we lower the risk can we can we de-risk it can we can we make it more efficient and oftentimes you can do that without changing anything and it's actually just perceptual change yeah right so to in perception my product was 10 times smaller 10 times the price something had to something to customers was like wow i need to check this out then we had to like a procedure it wasn't just spray it on because because that would have been just the same as the aerosol so what we did was we created a, a procedure where people invested into applying it so they get more out and it actually created a better bond, better ma- 
better resilience. So you'd spray it on, you'd then brush it in, spray it on, brush it in, and then spray it on. Then you'd leave it overnight, let it cure, and then you were, you were liquid-proofed. That procedure meant people spent more time invested in this, getting the results. When Most time when you invest in something more, you get more out. Yeah, and I quite like the idea of, of um, I don't know if there's the, the right way to phrase it, but habitualize a consumer product. If there's like a, a habit, like a process that you go through, you then become inherently more attached to an item or or some or, or a service, a product, whatever, because you, you're kind of like investing that time. So I think this ties on really nicely into really the crux of where I want this podcast to go. I think this is going to be the secret source, right? And, and when you've kind of, touched on it briefly there but a lot of impact brands a lot of consumer brands are struggling to hit the kind of scale that they want to and the kind of scale that we need them to hit if we're going to really make a dent in in the climate crisis and you mentioned something briefly there where a lot of brands think that just being sustainable is enough and um i think if you were in when you're in this industry when you're in the climate industry you forget what other people think sometimes. Like, I think it's very important. It's something that we try and do all the time is just keep one foot in the door, one foot out the door. It's like, yes, we care about the climate and yes, we're doing all this kind of stuff. However, life's really hard for like a lot of people and they're just trying to like go their day to day. So it's tough to, to, to every single time you buy a product to consciously think, all right, what's the sustainable alternative? Oh, that sustainable alternative is five times the price. You know, like, can I, like, is that worth it to me? Is that going to make enough of an impact? All this kind of stuff. So it's really important for us to think as an industry, right? Okay, so maybe just saying something sustainable is not enough. How are we going to really scale this stuff? So what are your thoughts on that? And, and what, what I'd love to get from you is what have you seen work in the market where a sustainable brand has, has just been really effective in scaling? Well, I, th- I think what I learned quite quickly on in my own entrepreneurial journey through a lot of pain or cost <laughs> or just read a, a lot of books, like I, success leaves clues. So I, so I was trying to absorb all of this wealth of experience and knowledge from, from reading um, people's autobiographies or you know business books, right? So I was like, I want to become a sponge. I want to continuously improve. And uh, a few of the things I learned was, like, yeah, ma- does magic exist? It does when you're a marketer because we can we can create a feeling, an emotion, with your c- customer, without ever being there. Like your product is about transformation. Most people think about. Most people think about the product, right? Marketeers always talk about product, this, 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 benefits, benefits, benefits. It's uh, features, 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 right? No one cares about the the kilowatts of a of a Tesla battery. Mm. We care how far it goes. We care about how safe it is, and actually, most of the time, how it makes me look to other people in my neighbourhood. Yeah, fact, fact. <laughs> Everything's based on. And you say people do people care about how far Tesla's go? I, I, I don't think most people. I think most people are just doing a thing. There's a really good book on this called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. You I was about that to, <laughs> dude. That's such a good book because it's all about. Yeah, I guess. Um, like he 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 does this amazing example in the book where he talks about the amount of money that's been invested to make the Eurostar faster. But he's just like, well, actually, with that amount of money and you can just make the experience a little bit better, it will make the journey feel a lot shorter because you're enjoying, you're not cramped up in a seat, you're not, you know what I mean? Like you've got enough food, you've got Wi-Fi, all this kind of stuff. So if you just invest that money in that way. Um, so I think that, that's a really interesting uh, point you mentioned because I think a lot of people in this field are scientific by nature. 
right? They're scientists. And I, um, I was at a showcase day the other week. They're all scientists presenting. And I think um, this stuff feels a bit like unacademic to a lot of people in the industry. However, if you want to scale your brand, you're going to have to to, to to use this stuff, use the alchemy, use the uh, marketing, the the the, the um, I don't want to use the word manipulation, but like controlling perceptions, if that makes sense, in a, in a kind of stuff. So what are so what are the, some examples you've seen of people within your community that have done that really really well? Yeah, you're so right. I was about to quote Rory Sutherland. He's in, a legend, a isn't things. he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, incredible. And and oftentimes you can just repackage the offer, repackage the product or how it's presented in a way that changes perceptions. And that, that then changes the behavior after that. So if you want to create authority and meaning, you put on a, you put on a pair of headphones and you talk with a podcast mic. <laughs> now we've naturally got authority, right? You've stolen my thunder, man. Stand up. <laughs> and this is it. Like we, we could have just done this with some iPhone mics. It wouldn't look so authoritative. It wouldn't look so cool. Production would have been slightly less, right? But we wouldn't have had that long lasting like emotional pull that we know what we're talking about right now yeah. with the audience, even though we're saying the same thing, yeah. right? You can, you can repackage it and you get further. So to answer your question, what have I seen in this space that are people doing it really well? Um, that is a great question. And oftentimes we, we work with brands that haven't quite got it right and they're, they're getting better and they're scaling. And I've seen a business that created refillable baking products. So if you often, when you go down into supermarket, you look down the baking aisle, it's full of single use plastics, packaging, it's, it's ugly um, to a certain extent from, from I say ugly from a like environmental, like, oh, look at all the horrible packaging that's gonna end up in, in, the, in a landfill. Um, we worked with a brand that did high quality baking materials in glass refillable bottles. It looked cool because you could see the layers of materials. It was a it was more sustainable than the plastic alternatives, higher quality product. Um, and it was like 11 times, 12 times the price of all the competitors. And what, what we did there was, again, play on the experience of what you're creating. If you're just trying to sell baking products, not many people are going to switch their behaviors of, of spending 10, five times price, right? It's a special moment. It's a special connection with your children or your niece and nephew or your, your friend's kids baking and creating something. You, we were basically creating star bakers. Okay, you took a kid, no clue on actually what measurement scales, grams, milliliters, eggs, yolks, sugar. No, like they, they just didn't know any like what happens. And then through the alchemy of putting those great ingredients together, you create incredible cookies or a cake or a brownie. And I say that because that also is a representation of you as a sustainable founder, as a climate tech scientist, you're, you need to think about bringing the ingredients together. That's not the thing. It's how you make people feel from the experience of using your product. You're, you're selling the transformation, the future self. A Tesla owner, you can, drop, you can buy any other car. You can buy lots of other cheaper electric cars. But what Tesla did at the beginning was only make it available to highly affluent, aspirational people. And they changed the dynamic of people rather than it being cool to drive around in a Lambo or a Bentley. It's actually way cooler to drive around in a Tesla because you're also doing good for the, for your planet. 
Yeah. It also happened to be a really incredible car. Like they, they just, it, it drives itself. Right. And has everything you could ever want on a vehicle. Right. It, they had a good product, but then they changed the perception of what it meant to drive a vehicle like that. And I think that's what you need to think about. And scientists need to realize that the logical step isn't always the, the step that's going to help you progress. And, yeah. and oftentimes people don't care about the science. They don't care about the technology. They care about how it's going to make people feel going forward. And that, that people Facts. feeling combined with communities, combined with impact is going to actually help us. You know. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. And I think a lot of that's going to um, maybe not annoy people, but I, I think it's it, something, something that needs to be said is that the majority of people don't care about the science. They just don't like, when they're buying products the majority the 99 percent of people aren't the kind of individuals that break down and break everything down and you think that oh that's really cool and just because your mates do that doesn't mean that everyone else does that and most people just you think about all of the decisions you make on a daily basis the majority of it is subconscious and the subconscious is inherently irrational because the subconscious your subconscious mind you're a subconscious mind and conscious mind right um, the conscious mind, so like, there's a, there's a loads of ways people say this stuff. There's like level one, system one, system two. Um, there's a, like monkey bit, all this kind of stuff. The the the, the rational mind, which I think a lot of people in the sustainable industry think people make uh, by make their purchase decisions from, um, it's just it's so. Uh, long and complicated to process information that people way that most people are doing it in a subconscious level 100%. which is all feeling based and is inherently irrational like the subconscious can't process that amount of information in a rational way so it's all about um, changing so I, I like I like so you said two two examples right today the first example was the, the product that yours did which was so much more it was so different from the examples on the market already that people were interested in why that was so much smaller and bigger and you created a system and experience around that to do that stuff the second one is like okay so right, our, our baking products is 10 times more expensive how do i then create an ex exper experiential value around that to then make that product but, but on both both of the times you've done that you've not led with sustainability which is interesting yeah, I mean, I might break a few people's hearts here. It calls like uproar in this space, but no one actually cares about sustainability to a, to a, to a meaningful extent. And let's say, for example, you're trying to be you're trying to be as sustainable as possible. Like for me, I care about what I what I wear, what I put in and on my body, um, how I travel. I'm I'm tr I am trying to be as climate positive as I possibly can. Now life comes and gets in the way sometimes and can't always be perfect. I know for a fact, if my wife was to get sick, I don't care what how that ambulance is, what fuel it's running on. I don't yeah. care how many single-use plastic, syringes, like swabs, chemicals they're going to use to keep her alive. I just care about my wife being well and s s remaining alive. I don't care how the hospital incubators run on non-coal like, fuel. At that moment in time, I care about my loved one coming back to me, right? Yeah. So sustainability, you can't lead with sustainability. And that's what most brands right now are doing. They're like, oh, we're a vegan alternative. Oh, we're the more sustainable version. We're, we're this. People, people don't care. They just want the job done. And what happens is 
right now we're, we we are moving away from this as the younger generations um, mature. They have different buying habits, but most of the time, if you lead with a sustainability benefit, a consumer is going to naturally think it's less effective. So eco within consumers has a has a way of people believing that it's not going to be as effective as the the alternative or the current status quo. So therefore, I won't buy it. Unfortunately, it's often packaged in a more like an eco sustainable browns, greens, beige, natural colors. And that's not attractive. Like that doesn't that doesn't make me excited as a human when I walk down, especially when there's incredibly created design products out there. The competitors just look way better. So there's those two things. Then if I do buy it, you end up using more of it to make it which counteracts the sustainability ethics of it. So let's say a washing detergent, right? You're not going to go for the brown or the empty packaging sustainable detergent most of the time. It's also most of the time more expensive because of the materials and ingredients like cost more to get it to a quality level of maturing, like keeping, maintaining that sustainability ethics because it costs way more money to create great quality products that are sustainable and good for people than it does chemical alternatives. Yeah. So not only are you more expensive, you look uglier, it's tougher to do, you get, you're not going to you're not going to win you just don't have the margin left over to then outmarket the the chemical pollutive alternative so what i realized quite early is like let's learn from these incredible minds that are paid a hell of a lot of money chemi- scientists human bi- behaviorists within these big brands what do they do they create an emotion they create a meaning they they tell us narrative a story some of the b- biggest brands in the world created a a, a feeling and that brand value other than just the product like Nike is not just about sneakers because you and I could go to China right now and Portugal and create a replica trainer probably make it better than Nike but we, we'd be very hard pushed to sell so much of that at the same price point that Nike does because Nike doesn't sell athlete, doesn't sell leisure wear or sneakers they sell you becoming a better version of yourself while wearing Nike right you want to become the athlete so how can you take that brand, like that experience of creating a brand, a value, a resonance with your customers and helping them become their future brilliant self? Now, oftentimes it's like, do the, like we actually do the job and we're also sustainable. So that peace of mind, oh, you're also doing good for people. Like you're not polluting people. Oh, and we also donate to um, women's charities, right? So side by side, if, you're, if your alternative is less painful to use, simpler to use, price parity is the same, and it looks good, you're going to win. Hopefully that should yeah, help people uh, sure. understand it. And don't lead with just sustainability all the time because people don't, that doesn't help me do my the thing that I want it to do. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. I think sustainability needs to be in, like embedded in it, but it needs to be about more than that. Do you know what I mean? Like Tesla is, is sustain is, it was an EV, but it was also sexy. Like if you're going to leave with sustainability, it has to be sexy at the same time. hundred percent. So, so we talk about scale, making yeah. sustainability sexy. Yeah. So to make the sustainable, attainable and accessible, you need to make your non-pollutive, ethical, vegan, eco-friendly version as sexy as the counterparts. And when I say sexy, it's like built, built really well, looks attractive. People are going to be proud to have it 
on their bathroom side or, you know, they're going to be proud to share it with others. If it does the job, just I, I think the best thing I can say is the simplest thing is focus on the product or the service you offer being the very, 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 very best you can make. Like think about how you do that. How do you create an experience with what you do? The unboxing experience has to be really great. So people share that across social media, perhaps. Um, they tell their friend if it did the job really well and it also was sustainable and no one was harmed in the making of it no animals were were, were hurt they're going to tell like they're going to tell their friends yeah. they're going to tell their family they're going to be champions of the brand and then then if you can layer on top of that the other experiences that create brand value which is like in person meetings value add like messages from the founder gifts mm. perhaps then you can create a really valuable brand that will be here for years and years and years to come because one of the things that I really landed on and I didn't answer this earlier is why climate is because I think it should be common sense like climate action sustainability should be intertwined into good business practices like every process should have an element of sustainability built in because climate risk is financial risk and if you're not if you don't have some form of environmental or social impact built into your business it's only a matter of time until your customers and your team find out and they they stop buying from you or they stop working for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I've done that with loads of just like, I've, I've stopped buying from brands that I know are really bad for the planet more than I've started buying brands that I know are really good for the planet. Does that make sense? It's almost like that concept of loss aversion. Yeah, I've, I've not really thought, I've not really processed that in my own like head before, I suppose, but that's quite, quite an interesting thing. Um, yeah, and it is like, I always describe it as a, like a revolution, like the in, like, like the internet. You know, there's there's not necessarily there's not climate's not an industry for me. It's a, like something that's just going to become part of every single business, which kind of segues well onto um, one of the topics I really wanted to dive into you about. I'm not sure how much you get into the operational elements of the, of the specific businesses, but what I want uh, people listening to this pod to get is like business ideas of stuff that they could set up, right? So what's stopping brands that you're working with today becoming more sustainable? I know you work with impact brands already, but like, what are the things that are stopping them becoming more sustainable? Um, and hopefully that gives people business ideas on problems to solve, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, great, great question. So oftentimes we'll work with a business that has core, core credentials that match our criteria like they have a good product the founders are growth mindset they're like they're interested in developing developing themselves and doing good in the world um and we then plug into the we provide them the tools or the talent that helps them scale or the funding right so most, most of the time what the, what the business is they need money they need more customers and they need the talent to make make stuff happen and we give them access to all of that we we develop the leaders so they can hire themselves or they just work with us and that's a shortcut for them to do. Um, how do they become more sustainable? Oftentimes it's in their supply chain. So how could a men's sustainable fashion brand become more sustainable? It's often in the outer packaging of how their garments are shipped. It's it's off, It could be the actually the chemicals that could be used in the in the, in the actual suppliers that they source from. So you look at the entire supply chain and there's a couple of hurdles. Oftentimes it's packaging, how it's actually delivered to the customers. But realistically, the most impact is how the customers use the product. So washing. So if it's a, if it, if it's a men's fashion brand, it's organic 
cotton, single yarn, great. Packaged in a reusable packaging, fantastic. Actually, how how are your customers using it? If they only wear it once, not the greatest benefit, right? If you create an incredible fashion brand that makes your customers feel good and look good, they're going to continue to wear it. They're going to recommend it to their friends, and that's how you scale. But also, it it prevents the other the downside of people only buying it once, posting it on the gram, and then sending it back. Because there's a huge amount of impact. If we can create long lasting products that make people feel good for longer, they're more likely to share it with others, and they're more likely to use it over and over. Now you can think about circularity. So how do I then take that garment and put it back into the system? If it's if it's cotton, for example that can go back into the ground. It's an organic matter that can go and become fuel for something else. Um, when we create things, they, they can return to the world either as poison or as, or as food or as fuel. And I, we tend to try and push people. We do work with brands that, that go towards more organic-based materials. That's not to say that something made out of plastic is bad. Like that plastic will probably last very, oh, it does last for a very, very, very long time as long as it's used properly. And then you have an idea of how to people put it back into circulation. So I'm thinking about circular business model. So anyone that's creating a circular, like create a service that allows um, business owners to reuse or repurpose their materials or the, and their, their ingredients or whatever. How can you impact your team? So where, so actually a very big dial to move towards is financial. Like where are my pension pensions? Mm. So can I make sure that my team pensions are in being funding the right Right, um, what am I thinking of? Right, financial organisation like make sure your fun- pension pot is in the right area. Um, they're not funding. Which I know is one of your investments, right? Climate. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Yeah, <laughs> talking about that. Yeah, um, but also like there, there, there's an incredible stat that where you invest your pension is 21 times more powerful than going vegan, cycling. Yeah, buying sustainable products combined because money makes like matures money and if you can take it away from deforestation and 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 other pollutive yeah yeah. shares great because we're also destroying shareholder value within those organizations and giving it to the good guys exactly and you're making even the bad guys think christ i need this so i need to go good that makes sense yeah Yeah, yeah. forcing the hand yeah so you need to you need to 100 percent look at kind of where you're putting your money but also think that what you just ran through there was right this is the supply chain this is so so that that's what I kind of I'm, I'm trying to push people towards is like just look at the look at the world around you everything's got like a supply chain to get to where you've got to there must be something along there that you can improve in a more sustainable way even if it's like the, the like the bolts of this microphone or something on the table like the, the whole literally the whole world pretty much needs to get reinvented in sm- small ways and it's not like you need to create a sustainable table company but there's like there's something here which you can improve and make more sustainable and in a world where everyone's going to rush to net zero and everyone's going to rush to uh, uh, because it's becoming law and and at, like as the, as the climate crisis worsens people will start putting taxes on negative externalities so even though your product might be more expensive today as those taxes start to come in then it's going to come down and, and we mentioned that she's circling right back to the start of the podcast subsidies is a really useful tool um, there's like really, really valuable businesses uh, to be made. Just like completely, like everything across the, in and everything across the supply chain. So I think, yeah, that's really fascinating. So um, and then, yeah, people like 
can't recommend this enough. Move your money to somewhere that is is positive, not only because um, it's a good thing to do and you're going to be helping the planet, but also because, again, about what I just said, if everything's going to move to net zero, the big companies are going to the, the companies that are incredibly pollutive are going to start to really really struggle. So you lose money. What I want to end on then is, um, are there any um, hacks? Like people love hacks, right? Right. If you're if you're an early consumer brand, what are what is like one or two hacks that you can do today to either become more impactful or to um, uh, to to really scale the brand? So, for example, when we were both coming up, it was this like kind of social media stuff. Um, what what have you seen today that that um, like a little trick that people can take away that um, that's going to help them? Oh, really interesting. Okay, so so the reason we create kind communities because Communities are some of the most resilient pieces of humanity we've ever existed, right? And stories. So if you can combine those two things together, you will create a stronger, stronger bond with your customers and your team um, and your investors and your community. So look to create a community. And right now, the, the a really great way of is to say that you do create an incredible product that does good in the world, right? Create, create a way of your customers forming a community. So allow them to chat to each other and then you can like ideate with them you can co-create new elements of products or iterations because you're cloud sourcing ideas so you go from one mind or one business maybe seven eight people to potentially thousands of minds working together to help you scale a, a stronger brand so build a community quickest way organically right now it would be tiktok and linkedin as a founder i'd look at putting out content that provides value to your audience and your customers and your team. So you so you, you become a thought leader in your own space. So put out content across LinkedIn because that's going to get organic reach and then dice that up and put it across TikTok. You're going to get views in the thousands um, and it's just a lot easier to scale. It's like early days, Facebook and Instagram when I was building. Then I would then empower my customers to create content with my amazing products and then I would ask them if I could use it and then I would use that in our own content so you, so you you're creating not only have you saved time on creating content you've allowed your customers to partake in your story they love that then you're showing other prospects how other customers love your product a social proof word of mouth and then you're going to basically start scaling through through that then I'll lay that on top of a performance paid ads campaign um, on like TikTok and and Instagram depending on the product but that's like a really top line yeah but firstly like the probably the most meaningful thing that that I would work on as a leader as a founder is myself so you don't grow you can't grow your business without growing yourself first so invest in yourself in leveling up like bringing on either making yourself become aware of what's possible educate yourself in who to work with how do I how do I get this done? If I don't if I can't do it, how who who do I need to bring on? And then what do we do? And then that last bit I just said about the what, which is like LinkedIn, TikTok, Reels, yeah. comes after you've invested in developing yourself, developing your team, so you can put out better work. 
and, and hopefully that helps. Uh, like the quickest thing, probably just join kind community. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to end. I'm getting um, the, the podcast guys in the back t- telling me to get out of here. But dude, this is, uh, it's been really, really good fun. It's so nice to get um, a different angle on this, on this pod as well, which I definitely want to do. Um, but yeah, this has been awesome. So, so much, um, so much knowledge in there. So thank you so much for coming on and yeah, man, I look forward to, to working with you more going forward. Yeah. Really appreciate it, Harry. And if, if anyone out there wants to connect or I'm more than happy to help where I possibly can. Nice. Thanks again, Harry. Legend. Cheers, bro. See ya. <laughs>